Welcome to Glossonomia, conversations on the sounds of speech. I'm Eric Armstrong, and with me here is... Philip Thompson. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm great. I'm actually a disclaimer. My head is a little bit stuffed up, so when we reach any nasal sounds, you might have to take over for me. Okay, you're going to be de-dasal on (laughs) those ones. Um, Okay, so today our theme is that we're going to be looking at the pulmonic consonants chart, and our goal is to focus on, quote-unquote, non-English sounds. Yes, I'll I'll make the disclaimer there. Uh, Theoretically, I can speak English and use a lot of sounds that aren't part of standard English. Uh, There are sounds that are used in English that are used in other languages, so it's sort of a gray area. What's an English sound and what's a non-English sound. But these are the leftover bits that we haven't encountered before because they're not in the main wheelhouse of standard English. So occasionally we'll come across a sound where we'll go, well, you know, in some variations that's a sound in English, yeah. but we'll probably be inclusive rather than exclusive. So for those of you listening along at home where you have access to it, you want to go grab yourself an IPA chart so that you can look at it. I think that would make matters much easier. Yes. Uh, we, we will try to describe what things look like as we go along, but we, we don't want to spend too much time on this. We've gone pretty in-depth so far in various other episodes uh, about things like uh, occurrences and where you might encounter these sounds. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to move a little bit more quickly and talk a little bit more pedagogically today, yeah. how we might teach them. Um, and as we do it, we're going to be modeling the sounds in a pretty traditional pattern, and that is we'll do the consonant sound into a vowel. Usually people use the ah vowel, the most open vowel. Uh, So we'll do an initial consonant release into a vowel, so something like pa, and then we'll do an intervocalic between two vowels, ah pa, followed by a final realization of the consonant, so ah. So that gives us three little clusters in a row, so pa, ah, pa, ah. Yeah. And and that's, as you say, traditional. It'll be easier for, for us to think of those, and it'll be easier for you to uh, think of them in the same way. One thing that I, I'll bring up about that, and one reason that we do them transitioning into and out of vowels, is that sometimes you really hear the quality of the sound as it affects the vowel that you're moving into or out of. Uh, things like retroflexion or... Uh, palatal consonants, you really can hear in the transition what the sound's made of. Uh, so yeah. that, that's why we do it that way, to capture the full texture of the sound. So, shall we start at the top of our chart? I think people have looked mm-hmm. it up by now. And yeah. uh, if we take a look at that top row, which is the row of plosives, we've already done p and b, which we won't go into. And you'll see then immediately to the right of there is a blank space. Uh, What's going on there, Phil? Well, if it's a blank space, and you'll see that elsewhere in the chart there are grayed out spaces, uh, a blank space is, sure, you could do one. We just haven't encountered a language that uses that sound. You can make it, it's possible, but it doesn't exist, or it hasn't been described yet. 
So in this case, we can build it out of the components, the description. It's a plosive, and it's labiodental. The lip is moving up to the upper, let's say, upper teeth. Just like our other labiodental sounds like fa and va are articulated in that same place. Right. So if you went to make a fa and you stopped the airflow, you'd get <laughs> and then build up a little pressure, as you do with a plosive, and explode it. So it would be pa. Apa, up, and you—you uh, you probably haven't heard that. Uh, although it's certainly a possible alternative way somebody might say, uh, "pa." Mm-hmm. I like right. pa. So you might get that if you had a really bad overbite. Yeah. So you couldn't get your lips to come together. And the only other place I can think of where that might happen would be in the context of uh, a P or B before uh, uh, an F or V. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if we had a word like, um, uh, you know... Off-putting. Off-putting. No, it's got to be P, P, P going into F. I see, yes. Yes, so uh, like up-feeling. I don't know what that would be. Sure. So, yeah, so we're, we're, we say up-feeling, so we would pause yeah. on the sort of F-like closure, up-feeling. Um, yeah. I can't think of a phrase off the top well, of my head. Well, it could there. even be in between two words. So, stop frowning. Right. Stop frowning. And Easily people could do yeah, that. Yeah. I'm sure that you and I have both done that at various times in our speech stream. So, that's the unvoiced labiodental plosive. Why don't you give us the voiced version? Uh, so, that would be ba, a, ba, a, ba. Now, this is the point where it's a disadvantage that this is audio only, because I think both of us, when we're modeling this unusual sound, tend to make extra thinking faces, (laughs) uh, which my students have caught on to. They can tell if it's one of the outlier sounds that I'm modeling for them on a quiz because I get a serious look on my face. Right, right. That's Uh, a good clue. But it is absolutely possible to say, ba, up, pa, pa. And to do it casually without engaging your concern muscles. Right. Or your ridiculous muscles. Let's move on. Yes, please. Uh, The next symbols on the chart are the T and D symbols, which we covered a lot. So uh, the next column is the retroflex column of the chart. So a little review of retroflexion. Retroflexion is curling the tongue backwards, retro back, flexion bend. So uh, imagine perhaps the... If you think of the underside of the front of your tongue, that mm. that is going to articulate just behind the gum ridge on the roof of your mouth. Uh, you're going to find a little place uh, where ta-da uh, gets articulated. So it's very similar to what we would think of as a T or D-like sound, ta-da, but with your tongue curled back a little bit. So the mm. underside of your tongue is what's striking the roof ta-da. of your mouth, ta-da. So we get... Ta, ata, at. And voiced, da, ada, ad. Or I, I stopped that and didn't explain it very much. Ad. Challenge with the voiced final plosive is that if you release it too much, it starts to sound like it's shadow a vowel. vowel yeah. yeah, shadow vowel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so uh, we do know that these retroflex sounds often are part of things like Hindi and Sindhi, yeah. uh, so Southeast Asian, South Asian languages. Yeah. Um, so moving on to palatal. Yeah. 
so palatal, you'll recall that uh, as we're moving the tongue tip back from an alveolar placement to a retroflex placement, there's no further back that you can really manage with the tip of your tongue. So you flip over or you switch to the dorsum or the back or body of your tongue and use that to make contact against the palate uh, so that you fit your entire tongue up into your palate. Uh, then you build up pressure behind that and I'll do the unvoiced ka, a ka, a or a uh, This is a giveaway palatal sound because it has that little y sound in it. But we shouldn't mistake it for being the velar plosive, which we've dealt with, and the palatal approximate, yeah. So it's not kya, but kya, kya. And right. th- I suppose I could try to get my tongue away so quickly that I don't hear that yeah sound. Ka, ka, ka. But in practice, it really has that little glide away. Yes, and it's encountered most commonly in Hungarian, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah. Um, the uh, symbol for that was the lowercase c. The voiced one is a, uh, inverted, is that the right term? It's not mm-hmm. rotated, it's flipped, isn't it? I, F, right? I think it's turned because the hook of it is now pointing backwards. Oh, you're right. Yeah, so it is a turned F. Yeah. Um, but it does kind of look like a J with a bar and no I, dot. I think it is a J with a bar because if you flipped it back up, that bar on the F would be really low. So in right. this case, that bar is pretty much on the middle line and the hook is a descender. Well, no, right. it's, it's below the middle line. The actual top of the J, sans dot, is at the middle line. Uh, so it's its its own symbol. It's a dotless barred J, I think. I believe it originated, though, from yeah. a turned F. Yeah. That uh, typographically, they could just take an F and flip it. People who are really interested in this should get Ladjuson Pullum's phonetic symbol guide, which goes into lovely detail about all the symbols. Yes. Okay. So uh, the sound of that would be ja, aja, aj. Terrific. Now, yeah, it may be a little bit too fricative the way I did it, perhaps. I, I had a Czech colleague, and uh, the two key words that the audio illustrations of the IPA that you can get uh, uh, online, they use the Czech words tělo and dělo. I don't remember mm-hmm. what they mean. And so every day I would go down to his office uh, and say, all right, tělo, dělo. And every day he would say, no, it's much better. It's yeah, good. Okay. <laughs> so my attempts to reach native uh, fluency in that sound were thwarted by my uh, English background. Uh, but he was very gentle with me. So that's terrific. Uh, we could go one step back and get to the velar place, which we've already been to. Uh, right. And then if we take one step further back, again, we may be using slightly further back bits of the dorsum of the tongue here, but we're also mm-hmm. articulating further back along the palate or along the roof, roof of, the of the mouth. mouth. Yeah. The tectum. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, yes, I mean, generally there's a relationship. Wherever it is on the top of the mouth is sort of the part of the tongue that's beneath it is yeah. going to be the part that's articulating. Um, so we have this uvular uh, sound. The symbol is a lowercase q for the voiceless one. Mm-hmm. Ka, aka, ak. Um, and yeah, I, I, I associate that with Arabic and yeah. other. 
you know, in the in the news some years back was Qatar, uh, which got pronounced in a variety of ways, and of course Iraq. Uh, so Arabic uses the sound, and throughout the Middle East, you can hear variations and and Q spellings actually in the words. Uh, so the Q ha- has been used to indicate that sound uh, in right. Roman transliteration. Usually without a U after it. Exactly, exactly. Right. Uh, good for Scrabble. Mm. Uh, so the voiced form is a small uppercase G. That is to say, it goes under the middle bar, uh, but it is a, the capital form of it. And uh, that sound is ga, aga, ag. And I put a little shadow of vowel after that. You could stop without release and say ag. <laughs> Uh, so, right. Well, any any final plosive, right? It could be unreleased. That's another option. Exactly. So we could perhaps do a fourth realization. Now, Phil, the, the next column is pharyngeal, and it's white again in the voiceless area, but not in the voiced area. Can, can you I suss that out? Why that is the um, way it is? I, I yes, but I'm just stopped for a moment by your pronunciation of pharyngeal. Oh, pharyngeal. <laughs> I, it may be a, a national difference between us, uh, or it could be, I better go look it up. Uh, so, yes, the, those pharyngeal sounds are produced by the tongue root moving back against the back wall of the pharynx, and in this case, stopping the airflow. So, the, the IPA says that it's impossible to do the voiced form. But let's pause on the the unvoiced form, you can see why you're closed off really close to the larynx. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of room for airflow, so you have to go ha, ha, ha. I have to make sure that I'm not making that sound directly into the microphone. And so you could imagine that with that little space, you can't quite get the voicing started in that area by squishing enough air through the vocal folds into that space to get voicing started. But I'd like to attempt it. I think I just did it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, Ladies and gentlemen, for your entertainment pleasure. Thank you, thank you. So uh, it seems to me, I understand why. There seems to be a physiological reason, but... If we can do it, then it. I think that I would like to hear a phonetician explain to me why what I just did is not a voiced pharyngeal plosive. Right, right. Uh, and if you're listening, please email us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the last column is glottal, and again, it's it's a possible voiceless, not possible voiced, and here there's logic to it yeah. in that you can't vibrate something that's closed. Yeah. So we have uh, ah, 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 and ah. So the, the argument here, though, is that you could say a completely unvoiced and aspirated ah, 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 ah. <laughs> I'm really going heavy on the aspiration. That's clearly unvoiced, like ta. If the voicing starts really immediately on top of the explosion, ah, which is the way that it usually happens in English, uh uh-oh, no you didn't, then the voicing is right on top of the explosion, and it's so awfully close to a voiced form that uh, it's 
convenient for a student uh, working on these sounds to make that distinction. But yeah, I'll buy it that all of our voiced sounds have a little bit of voicing happening before the explosion. Except that in initial cases in English, yeah. right, our da, our ga, our ba, there really is no voicing no, before the I, release. I mean, you could do it. You could make it ba. Da. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so doing that glottally is impossible. I will attempt it. Mm. Uh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And so what we're ending up with is sort of the equivalent of uh, a not at all aspirated unvoiced sound like up would be ba, ba, ba. And I would have to call that an unvoiced bilabial plosive with absolutely no aspiration. Right. So, yeah, I'll buy their gray box, but I'm going to make a face. All right, let us go down a row. So I want to do one thing before oh, yeah. we go, and I want to just model them all, Great. including the English ones, from left to right, Beautiful. first voicelessly and then voiced. I'll just do all the initially. Um, Great. And so we get pa, ta, ta, cha, ka, ka, la, a. I did pharyngeal, just or pharyngeal, just for <laughs> excellent fun. Yeah, and that's often when I'm giving a quiz to my students because I quiz them over all of these sounds. Um, not not pharyngeal uh, because there's no symbol for it. Uh, they they really want to interrogate me. Wait a minute, was that ta or ta? Uh, that I'm sneakily getting them to practice doing the sound as a way yes. of having a conversation, which is kind of the point. Right. Phil, will you do the voice work? Yes, I'm going to give it my best shot. Ba, ba, da, da, ga, ooh, ga. Sorry, I went, I skipped palatals. Start again. I'll start again. Ba, ba, da, ga, 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 You set me up, man. So he was doing the, the, the even labiodental and fer, pharyngeal yeah. and even glottal, sort of. Yeah, I, I made my, my play. Okay, so let's move on to nasal. <clears throat> yes, and reminder, nasals are formed by a closure in the oral tract and an opening of the velopharyngeal port, and all the ones that we use are voiced. All the ones right. that we have symbols for are voiced. And we've and, done... It's possible to do a voiceless one, but the IPA just says take the <laughs> voice symbol and put an under ring on it because it's yeah. so rare. And stop bothering me is what they say. Yeah, get uh, over it. So the first one we already know and we've done, which is ma, and the second one is the labiodental version. So again, like F and V, it's your uh, lower lip and your upper teeth mm -hmm. making a ma sound, a mm -hmm. ma, um. Yeah. Uh, and again, it typically happens before a V or an F in a word where it's usually spelt. Yeah. So, like voice. Yeah, or emphasis. Invoice. Emphasis, yeah. And it's an allophonic variation in some accents. I, I teach in California, so ma is kind of common. Especially as you smile all the time. Exactly. Because you're from California. Exactly. Uh, it, it, I'll put it a different way. It's. A ready mockery that my students are happy to jump on board with. Uh, it's probably more rare than a, not every Californian, not many Californians speak in that full-blown 
valley girl thing. Totally. Uh, so, okay, moving on. Yes, we have already done the alveolar. Nah, we'll leave that alone. And so we're now reaching retroflex. Again, retroflex is when the tip of the tongue goes from its alveolar position, uh, doesn't hit the post-alveolar position, and goes all the way back to retroflexion, which would be na. Na. Ah, na. Exactly. And that's one where I really think it's the transition into the vowel that makes us hear the retroflexion. Na, ah, na, an. In a final position, it's a little hard to tell. An, an. I think probably on quizzes when I make up nonsense words, I never put that one at the end of a word because mm. I don't want my students to say, that was tricky. Yes. Uh, right. Next is the palatal. And again, we've talked about this. I, I often refer to palatal as essentially happening with the tongue behind the lower front teeth, the front edge of the tongue behind the lower mm. front teeth. So you're focusing on more of the middle of the tongue reaching up yeah. to the roof of the mouth. This is the nya, 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 nya mm -hmm. sound. Uh, that's probably the only real English utterance that I Unless hear. Unless you're one of the Three Stooges. If you're curly, right. then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, English speakers use the sequence n ya nya nya but that's not the same as nya 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 Right. So there are some allophonic versions where people have... Their parents are Italian or something. Right. They might say onion with a nya sound. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so nya nya nya, nya nya nya, would be that in the three settings. So next is velar. We've done that to mm -hmm. death. Um, you know, in terms of my teaching, te getting people to do this initially is the hardest thing. Yeah, I it's easy to have them say anga or ang, but to go nga, it's I I spend a lot of time teaching people to say nga. Yes, I think it's really important because it's in that teaching that unusual sound. Unu it, it violates English phonotactics. We know that, the, that English words don't start that way. And so by breaking that bond, students are, are more aware. So I think it's really valuable. I just want to mention I, I have a colleague who uh, runs the translation institute here. Uh, and his name is Ngugi Wadiongo. And that first sound is not an ng, uh, but it's a pre-nasalized g. Uh, mm. So it's not ngugi, which is what everyone calls him, but ngugi, which is really uh. hard to do. He's another person who I've said, so your name is pronounced ngugi? And he gives me a face and says, just say ngugi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, it doesn't occur, this uh, velar nasal in initial positions. But we've talked about that one. The uvular nasal is in the same position as the uvular plosive, pa, uh, and it's just closed there, but with an open passage into the nasal cavity. Right. La, ang, la, ang. Uh, and that's one that feels like a slight variation on the English vers version. Yes. Just a more backed. Yeah. And you could imagine it as an allophonic variation. People would say long, long. They could do that. Yeah. Now, then we have a great tract of gray. And I accept these gray boxes as actually impossible because the bifurcation in the tube between the oral cavity and the nasal cavity happens above the pharynx. 
So if I close off anything at the pharynx, there's no passageway up through the nose. Uh, there, there will be no sound. And likewise at the glottis, because these are all voiced sounds, I can't close there and allow air or voice to go up through the, the nasal passages. Great. So let's model all of the nasals from front to back. Great. Uh, you? Well, you do it. Okay. I'll just do it in initial positions, uh, and then maybe you can do it in final positions. Okay. Ma, ma, na, nga. Sorry, I skipped one. Uh, I keep doing that. I'll start again. Ma, ma, na, nga, 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 nga. And finally, um, um, an, an, an. It is remarkable how impossible it is to tell those sounds in final positions. Yes, particularly the bilabial versus the labiodental. So, you can't hear a difference at all. So that tells us that what we're hearing mostly is the transition into a vowel. It's how you come out of it that allows us to hear it. Right, and also our ears aren't trained to hear that. That's true. That's true. If we were speaking a language that made a distinction between the two, then we'd be able to hear it better, I think. Mm -hmm. So next row is the trill row. Yeah. So this is uh, where we get a sort of fluttering of various bits and pieces of our mouths. Hmm. Um, and there are a number of white boxes on the row. Yes. Most of them I haven't really done. So you're probably the expert on trying to do a retroflex trill. I may be the uh, expert on trying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, part of the reason I suspect that there are so so many lacking symbols in these white areas is that it's pretty difficult yeah. to get a trill in these places. And so it's not available to a lot of languages because people aren't going to expend the energy doing them. Yes. So initial, we in, uh, initially, at the beginning of the row, we have the bilabial trill of the lips, mm -hmm. and all of the trill symbols are voiced again, but you can do voiceless ones. The voiceless, the IPA convention is to put a voiceless under ring underneath the symbol, mm -hmm. though some of them people have suggested alternate symbols. So for instance, for the voiceless bilabial trill, capital, small capital P, Which makes sense, because you can see that the voiced one is a small capital B. Exactly. So, <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's do that, that yeah. initial bra, a bra, a bra. Excellent. Um, Thank you for doing that. I suspect that, that if you did that in real life, like in a language, and there, there are a couple of languages that have that. Yeah, I think there's um, one in Papua New Guinea. Th this one was actually only added to the chart in, in the 80s. Mm. Um, if, if you have that, you, you probably only could get two or three articulations yeah. before you get into the vowel, right. and we tend to hang out on it. Um, yeah. So the next one, labiodental, especially depending on your dental work, could be very difficult indeed, and I'm going to attempt it. I'm just breaking down into fricative. I'm not getting right. a periodic. Yeah. Yeah. One ends up with sort of what sounds sort of like a fart noise. Yeah, Maybe that's why there isn't <laughs> languages that have it. Um, so next we have the alveolar trill, which looks like a regular lowercase r. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, some people find this more difficult than others, I, I imagine. <clears throat> yes. And, and it's an interesting one. We could probably devote an episode to how to teach this trill. 
I think that people don't always understand what trills are made out of, that they don't understand that the trill is a Bernoulli effect, that, uh, that it's the way your vocal folds work, that there's some sort of periodic uh, fluid dynamic event going on. Mm. By bracing some part of the vocal tract and allowing a flexible, elastic gait to shudder in the wind... People oscillate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Instead, people try to muscularly create each instance of it. Uh, it is true that you can sort of trick yourself by going da 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 da. You can maybe, but really, what's happening? It's a different kind of action. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also true that some people, if they make a D to an R, dr dr, they'll. And that's because the closure that prepares you for D is more tight on the sides than in the alveolar closure, and so you're set up to to move. It's also true, though, that we usually make our alveolar R's, our approximate R's, which we've talked about, in a slightly post-alveolar position. And I think this trill is most often post-alveolar rather than fully alveolar. Right. The... uh in in I think in our R episode we talked about you know classic bading me a kadispi kadanch as a way of getting a tap mm-hmm. and then moving up to a trill from there sometimes a tap works as a bridge to it as well so will you model it for us yes absolutely I didn't do the I did I did just a continuant but I didn't do ra ara ar and I'm probably trilling it longer than it might occur in, in language. Mm-hmm. It's sort of stage version. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the the few people I know who, like I have a student whose name is Rodrigo Trigueros. <laughs> and uh, uh, when he introduces himself for fun, he puts in a lot of trill. Uh, and he gets a lot of oscillations per second. Oh, very high frequency. Interesting. Um, and I can't match his speed That's of great. his trill. Uh, there, there was something about this. Oh, yeah, it's the it's called the dog's letter, uh, right. the litera canina. Uh, so there's a long tradition of talking about it as a as a growl. Um, to me, the the uvular one is more growly. Yeah. Now, before we get there, we've got blank spaces on retroflex and palatal. Will you attempt? I will attempt retroflex. <laughs> kind of. Difficult. And palatal, I'll attempt it, but I'm going to fail. I find that what I'm doing when I attempt it is that I'm making a very close um, space at the palatal area and then trilling my uvula behind it. Probably. Yeah, I think that's what I'm tricking myself into thinking that I'm doing. Yeah. I don't really understand how you could get the oscillation of that sort of mid right. part of your tongue. What part is flapping in the breeze? Yeah. Uh, the uvula, because of it's that big punching bag kind of shape, yeah. the little grape, it actually has the ability to bounce around quite a bit. And to me, it's a little bit different than the, the trill of the front because the trill of the front, the front edge of the tongue is, is trilling. Really, the back of the tongue is helping to set up 
the space where the uvula yeah. does the trilling. And we could and think of the uvula as the whole back edge of the velum in addition to the punching bag. Yes. Some people have quite um, large mm-hmm. uvulas, and some people have quite small ones, and some people even have them surgically removed yeah. as part of a tonsil- tonsillectomy. So um, I-, I do think that... Uh, it may be a little bit easier for some people than others, and yeah. that the the uvular fricative is a great way to get into it. So, <laughs> opening the space, yeah. making a little more room for that. So we got ra, ara, ar. I think we skipped velar. Oh, velar, which is now just velar is gray. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I'm looking on the uh, University of Victoria linguistics uh, chart. And they oh, and have, I'm looking at 96. My, 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 mine may be out of date. Well, I'm interested because I've always seen that on the chart as grayed out, but here it's not grayed out, but there's no symbol there. And I think that they met with some controversy there. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, a velar trill would be... Which I think maybe I'm just scrunching my uvula forward. But it's a distinct sound between rrr and rrr, rrr, rrr. But maybe you could just say that's a change in the placement of my uvular trill, and that the velar, ga, ga, I think that's where I'm doing the trill. Huh. I'm looking at a uvic webpage now, mm-hmm. and it's revised to 2005, and it is grayed out for velar. Uh, Pharyngeal isn't grayed out, but uh, we're looking at a different chart. Even if we're looking on the same, uh, it says revised to 2005. No, this is the uh, click and listen version. It's the ah. IPA Lab. Uh, Interesting. So there's no symbol there, but it it isn't grayed out on this chart, and that may, might be an error. It's still officially grayed out, but they made an error on this page. Huh. I don't know how you get to that page because it says you have to log in. Dude, you're in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how I logged in, but I'm there. Oh, I think that this is the public chart. Ah, yes. So, yeah, it's not as good as the private chart. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, then we do have pharyngeal. On my chart, pharyngeal is not grayed out. Me either. Yeah, it's not grayed out either. Pharyngeal plosive. Ah, ah. Now I'm going to try and trill it. Ah, ah. You sound like a lawnmower I do. Or, or will it blend? If, if, <sighs> if I were playing Gloucester, this might be a very useful sound to do. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not getting much of a trill there. Some people. Yeah, fricative for sure. But. Uh, you know, Dudley Knight is really good at, at doing. Really, epiglottal, epiglottic trills, oh, which you would have to make an... That's in other symbols. There's not an epiglottic row. Right. <clears throat> Although there is a Wikipedia page that has a chart with an epiglottic row in it. Yeah, I think Wikipedia has taken that mm-hmm. chart away. Because it was a little was cheeky. Too, too controversial. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Taps and flaps. <coughs> Pardon me. So... Um, the first tap flap is the bilabial tap flap, uh, and there are no symbols there. Yes. That, I would say, is because it's really difficult to distinguish 
a tap or flap from a plosive in that. So a plosive would be pa, a, pa, up. The tap would be pa, pa, a, pa. Well, actually, I should do a voiced one because our taps and flaps are really only voiced. So Well, I, you know, I have a thought about this. Yeah, in the In the, the tap, uh, alveolar tap, is very similar like a single stroke of an alveolar trill. Yeah. So if you had a single blurp of a <laughs> bilabial trill, uh, a blah, a blah, I don't know yeah. that I could do it. I don't yeah. know that I could get my lips together uh, quickly uh, enough. But maybe uh, initially, blah, 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 so that it's more of a sort of pursing explosion, blah, rather than a blah, a well, plosive, where we close and build up pressure and explode it. The definition, then, of a tap or flap is that it's ballistic, right? Uh, in fact, the I'm clicking on a link here and not going there, uh, which purports to explain taps or flaps. But, right. but my understanding is that it is either a single iteration of a trill or a just very quick uh, strike. Uh, right. Glancing blow. Rather than a buildup of pressure, which would make it a plosive. Right. So, so more likely to happen intervocalically. Yeah. So if I said, abba, 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 I could argue that that's a bilabial tap. But it would be transcribed by everybody as a, as a bilabial plosive. Yes. Uh, because there's no way of really indicating the degree of how much pressure you're building up, except for whether or not it's aspirated. Yes. So there could be one there. Uh, let's have a contest to see who would come up with the best symbol for that. Uh, it would have. I, to I think it has to have some kind of hook to the right. You see how the V, the labiodental well, tap. Well, that's true. That's true. Has a hook to the right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, well, let's come up with one, and then we can propose it. Uh, so if we go one back, we actually do have a symbol there for a labiodental flap. Not a tap, but a flap, because it moves from one position through the strike zone and to a different position. And so it's really, in this case, too, the front edge of the lip shooting forward, hitting the upper teeth. Alba, alba. Uh, if I could do it at the beginning, ba, alba, alba. Kind of uh, impossible uh, to uh, do at the end, but intervocalically is, is easiest. Right. Uh, and this uh, uh. was added in 2005. All right, let's go back. We've done the alveolar tap. Uh, uh. Yeah. The retroflex tap is, again, underside of the tongue, glancing yeah. low, slapping down. Uh, uh. It's, a, it's a flap, yeah. Yes. Uh, 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 uh. So it slaps down. That's what they call a flap. So ara, ara. No, ara, ara, ara. Yeah, excellent. Now, we have a whole lot of white space back there, so let's just try them. Palatal tap or flap. Agya, agya, agya. Kind of. Agya, agya, yeah. Velar, ga, aga. But how is that different than the plosive? And weirdly grayed out on the IPA chart. Yeah. I still am looking at a funny version. I just think that that's a breakdown in definitions there. I think there's fuzzy territory between tap and plosive. Right. And 
it's impossible, but you'll have to explain to me what it is before you tell me that it's impossible. Yes. Uh, then if we went to uvular, ra, aga, boy, that's hard. Aga, aga. Because as English speakers, we don't really hang out in that area to do the kind of uh, luxuriously soft flicking of an articulator. I just don't have the skill to do that. Aga, aga, aga. I'm going to end up with a fricative if I try it, I think. I, yeah, I'm trying to get a single stroke of a trill, and that's not happening either. Aha, aha, close. And then pharyngeal is going to be even harder. Yes. Phil and Eric were found dead on their lab floors from choking themselves trying to do pharyngeal. Yes, maybe my last words will be transcribed. All right. Okay. Now we. I think we're done with taps and flaps. I think so. Because glottal. Uh, how is that distinguished from a glottal plosive? Uh, fricatives, we did go through the whole fricative row, right? Yes, our whole fricative episode. So let's just whiz through yeah. that row just so people can say we did it. All right. Yes? Do you want to do uh, voiced or unvoiced? Uh, I will do voiced. You go first. All right. Voiceless. Unvoiced. Fa, 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 sa, sha, sha, hya, kha, kha, ha, ha. Okay, voiced. Uh, fa. Now that sounded voiceless. Va. There we go. Va, the, za, ja, ra, ya, ra. Ah, ah, Now, we already did talk about how glottal fricative may not be the best description of the idea of H, the phoneme yes. H. Uh, but some people do go out of their way to make a distinction between these voiced and unvoiced forms, uh, saying that intervocalically, the glottal fricative is voiced. Right. Ah, uh-huh. Yeah. Meh. Uh, Meh. All right. Lateral fricative. That is closure down the middle line, central closure, but space on the side, but space that's tight enough that it makes a fricative. And we have grayed out the bilabial lateral fricative. And I beg to differ. Right. So The bilabial one is kind of fun, actually. Exactly. Because if you close in the middle, far. You can get sound out the sides. Yes. And the voiced one, va, va. Yeah? Yeah, va. To me, that it sort of that uh, uh, stifled fart noise uh, coming out the edges of your your lips. That's. uh, And I'm more inclined to believe the IPA when they gray out labiodental lateral fricative. Because you got to get a closure on the front. I suppose if you focused on just one side, you could do it. Yeah, I don't know that it would make enough acoustic difference that people would ever be able to notice. Yeah. Um, So on to the alveolar, we've got the lateral sa and ya sounds. Yeah. La, la. And, and, you could argue that la 
occurs in English when Welsh people speak the names of their cities or names. Right. And also that it occurs sometimes when an unvoiced plosive precedes the phoneme L, and people might say, please, please, with enough friction right. that it's more of a fricative. Please, yes. Uh, then the voice form, la, la, la. Could you similarly do bleed? Uh, you could, yeah. Uh, there's more likelihood that you'll have a de-voiced fricative because of the speed of the airflow. Yes. But yeah, as a as a special way of pronouncing it, I'm going to make you bleed. Bleed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's and followed good. by an evil laugh. Uh, yes, it has to be. Uh, okay. So if we go one back from there to retroflex lateral fricative, that all of our retroflexes are with the tongue tip or sublamina underneath the tip, making contact at the alveolar uh, at the palate. Ja. Sha. Sha. Yeah, doesn't sound that different, I yeah. find, from the, uh, the fricative, right? The Not the lateral, but the just the sha, sha, sha. I guess it does still sound yeah, lateral fricative-y, but is it, if I do an alveolar sha and then I do a retroflex sha, it's a little bit lower in pitch. You might be able to notice that difference. Yeah, but there is no symbol for it, and that tells us that they're thin on the ground. Yeah. Uh, next, going back, I've lost myself here. Palatal lateral fricative would be cha, cha. Yeah, and you might yeah. get that if you had a palatal stop plosive right. followed by a... Which is kind of what you modeled the first time. Cha, cha. Cha, Yeah. But on its own, sha, ja. Certainly doable. Doable, but no symbol. Velar lateral fricative means velar closure, like you would make for a k or a g. <laughs> I, I tend to get it at one side than, than both, uh, rather than both. Sha, ja. And I find it easier if I think... Um, like a KL kind of cluster, mm -hmm. so that I set up with the K. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and I can imagine... Uvular. Want, want to try uvular? Yeah, so uvular ka is the plosive. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I can control the sides of my tongue well enough back yeah. there to pull them in. It's listed here as possible, but there are no symbols. Yes. And then pharyngeal, well, I suppose that you could... Close the middle of your tongue root to your pharynx and somehow leave a space on either side or on one side. Again, I don't think we would be able to differentiate it from just a plain old pharyngeal or pharyngeal fricative. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then glottal, they know such thing. No such thing. Okay. We're getting close to the end. Yes. We have the approximates and the lateral approximates to go. So... Approximants. Remind us again what an approximant is. Uh, it's an approaching. Exactly. It approximates. And so you can, I often like to construct these from the plosive, from the voiced plosive, ba, to the voiced fricative, va, and then just do that more weakly. Va, va, va. Va, va, va. And all yes. of our approximants are voiced because the unvoiced version would be inaudible because there's not any friction. There's just turbulence 
just right. some some vague buzzing, some acoustic shaping. Yeah, distortion in yeah. a way of the vowel. And so uh, there's no symbol for this, probably because it's kind of indistinguishable from the labiodental approximate. Well, and it it's sort of like a rounded vowel a little bit. Exactly. And the proximates right. are sort of right next to vowels. Right. So it's it's close to a, what we would think of as like a W, uh, but Ws, of course, have a velar component mm-hmm. to them. So perhaps more like the... Um, uh, I'm looking at the alternate symbols, the voiced bilabial palatal approximant, right? That if you could somehow leave that palatal component out of it, it's that upside-down H, mm-hmm. the other symbols portion. Okay, labiodental uh, approximant. So this is like a V, but it's not. An, there's no friction. So we've got ah, uh, ah. Uh, um, and that's a very soft V. Yes, and it looks, the symbol looks like a V that's rounded at the bottom. Cursive, right. Yeah, and it is a straight line at the left and a curvy line at the right. Uh, I have such a hard time drawing this one. I, had, I slow down when I get to that. Fortunately, it doesn't come up very much. You know, what it looks like to me, the, what I have in mind when I'm making it, is that I'm making the turn script day, like a, <laughs> but not completing a lot lexical it. set, and I just don't go so far. That makes a lot of sense. I'm going to steal that. So if we go one back, we've been here quite a bit, which is the alveolar approximate ra. Uh, we talked about the retroflex in that same episode, I think, which is ra, yes. ra. Ra, a ra. Uh, we've talked about ya. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, I don't think we've talked about the velar approximate, ah, ah. Ah, mm. And even the symbol is funny looking. It's a turned M with a tail. Or a turned H with an extra bump. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and so, it's like a ga in placement. It's like a ra, which is the fricative form. Uh, which is a sort of V with a little hernia that goes underneath the line. And then this one, the turned double hump H, uh, is ra, ara, ara. Yes, what kind of hamel, what kind of camel is that? Uh, uh, dromedary. Dromedary has two humps? I think that's right. Please email us at Glossinellian. Uh <laughs> And then we have the uvular approximant, which doesn't have a symbol, but you can imagine it just by extension from ra, 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 ra. And I bet that in languages that use the voiced uvular fricative, ra, rouge, that speakers of those languages sometimes execute a uvular approximant because they're not getting all the way to fricative. Right. And if you want, if you were desperate for a symbol, you could use the fricative symbol with a lowering thumbtack, uh, which is the way often people indicate that approximant is made in a fricative position by using a raising thumbtack. Yes. So lower a, or which opens it up. Exactly. Lower a fricative to make it an approximate. So a fer- pharyngeal. <laughs> now you've come one. over to my side. Uh, 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 uh. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> yes, uh, right. You're approximating this very hard to manage articulator to this 
deep down point of articulation or deep back point of articulation. Ah, 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 ah. Which kind of just makes it seem like a vowel. Yes. Now, these, the, the symbol for the for pharyngeal or pharyngeal fricative is sort of a backwards question mark without a dot. Um, you know, there's that thing that the pharaohs hold, sort the of looks unk. like that. I think it's an it, Well, it doesn't the onk have oh, a actually, right. cl- closure and it's got a little cross on the bottom. Yep. So I think there is a thing that looks like this. It's a, sort of like a scythe a little bit. Yeah, or like um, a bishop's... Sickle. A sickle. Or a bishop's crozier. Right. Or, or the hook they pulled me off stage yes. with. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we could construct the uvular, or rather the pharyngeal, pharyngeal approximant by using a lowering mark underneath that symbol. Right. And then the glottal approximant ain't nothing. Ain't nothing. Because uh, you can't voice so the approximation. You can't use the voicing mechanism as the articulator you're approximating simultaneously. Yes, right. All right. Lateral approximant is like a lateral fricative, but with more space. And we talked about this with the lateral fricative. You could do a bilabial lateral fricative. And I suppose you could leave enough space. But probably it would come across as a kind of weak M almost. I don't know. It's grayed out for some good reasons. But, you know, when I'm going through this chart with the students, I give them a version that doesn't have symbols in it. So that and and even doesn't have grayed out boxes, so that they can make a heroic attempt to try it, fling themselves at exactly. it exactly, uh, because you know it's a it's curious fun, uh, right. but I'm willing to accept that gray as practically impossible, not actually yes. impossible, but difficult. Similarly, with the labiodental, ah. Uh, <laughs> well. This is where the visual component would come in handy because we do look a little bit paralytic because we're making great... Bell's palsy a little bit. Exactly. So now we're at the alveolar lateral approximate, which we all know is the consonant L. Mm -hmm. La, a, la, a. We were there. We've done that episode. We've done that episode. The retroflex la, La. a, la. Uh, Which you could imagine being used in English... Uh, by some speakers, la 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 la. I always think of babe. La la la. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, palatal. Yeah, palatal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's you know it, it, in Italian it's written G L I. Mm-hmm. We get it in Spanish yeah. in some words like pollo. Yeah. Uh, in certain versions of Spanish, yeah. uh, have that. Uh, and and I all you know because it's palatal. Palatal sounds almost always have this sort of palatalization kind of quality, yeah. which makes it sound like there's like a little ghost yod creeping in there, yeah. doesn't it? And so we get a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And our, and our students l- trying to model what we're doing might be tempted to do a sequence of l yeah, and they have to sort of get into the feeling of doing them simultaneously, which means yes. that the closure is happening in the same place where the yeah is happening. Yeah. Yes, and if you keep your tongue tipped down, it's easier. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So next is velar, which is again g is above it, so it's that placement. Ra, 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 la, la, yeah. 
Now, and if you do a GL cluster and try to think, I'm releasing sideways, and then leave the G out, because in the lateral fricatives and the lateral approximants, there is contact in the point, in the column. So yes. there has to be velar closure and space out the side, which is not the same as doing a velarized L. And in fact, you could do a velarized L, as we've discussed, with no tongue tip contact and no contact, just the sound shaping of But that's not the same as the velar lateral approximant. Right. So one way of making sure you're not using your tongue tip is to actually put your finger on the front of your tongue and then try to say in the back. I think it's also helpful to remind people that laterals don't have to go out both sides. And so if you close off the left or the right and let the sound go out the other side, then it may be easier to learn these new articulations. Groovy. Uvular. No symbol, but still white, so it's possible. Yeah, it is easier to do just on one side. Pharyngeal, pharyngeal, grayed out, glottal, grayed out, so... Because you can't make room around the sides. Yes. We've done it. We've got through the whole chart. Well, that was fun. It was uh, uh, We didn't go into as many rabbit holes, which is probably uh, beneficial for people. Uh, it's If people want to know about incidents, where they would occur, we refer them to Wikipedia because you look up the sound. So you go, I want to know about the palatal, voiceless palatal fricative. Mm-hmm. You, Google, you Google that. It comes up in Wikipedia. And lower down, they'll say a whole bunch of languages where that would occur. Yeah. And that's a fun exploration to do. Students are often asking for keywords, uh, but if you give them a keyword in a language that they don't know, then they're going to have to sort it out. And I think, I think you and I both think, that it's the sorting it out that's the benefit for students, that many of our students will not have to make these sounds Unless they're speaking with a foreign accent where the speaker is using that sound. But they're going to get a lot out of the exploration. I would plug a book here, and that's uh, Vowels and Consonants. I'm holding it up for Phil to see. Uh, Vowels and Consonants by Peter Latifoget, the late, great Peter Latifoget. It's a very popular kind of book. It's not written in a very dense uh, academic style. And it has some lovely stuff later on uh, about sort of non-standard consonants. Um, so it has a chapter, Making English Consonants, Making English Vowels, and then it talks about the actions of the larynx, and then it goes into consonants around the world, and it has lovely contrasts oh, and examples of things like different places for uh, alveolar consonants, so a, a dental uh, alveolar consonant, a alveolar consonant, a retroflex, and a post-alveolar. It's got little charts, and it's very, very good. It also shows, talks about field work and um, uh, palatograms, palatograms, mm-hmm. I don't know how you stress that, yeah. um, where, you know, they put carbon on the hmm. roof of a speaker's mouth, and then they have them articulate, and then they 
open their mouth and take a picture of the roof of the mouth and of the tongue, and then they can figure out based on those photographs what part is touching and what part isn't. Um, and uh, so really uh, it, kind of a fun book about uh, uh, all the different kinds of um, sounds from around the world. Heat, of course, was a real um, uh, groundbreaking phonetician who traveled all over the world doing field work, capturing the sounds that are um, less familiar. And uh, he, he has some, uh, there's a very interesting book of his about uh, doing field work um, that was published just in the last year or two of his life that many people don't know about. That would be a neat, interesting read for people to find out. And uh, his name is spelled L-A-D-E-F-O-G-E-D. Uh, yes. And I'm going to Amazon right now to buy that, so I'll get the cheapest copies, so I get it bought before everybody listens to this episode, because I don't have a copy. <laughs> Uh, I, I like it very much. It's a great book. And at, at least for a, a time, uh, Blackwell, who published it, had a website that went with it that had a lot of great audio samples. Um, he was one of the first web people uh, people to use the web to put sounds yeah. to go with his books. Um, so that's a, a, a good recommendation. Well, terrific. Uh, it sounds like we've successfully completed this episode. Mm-hmm. And that's terrific. Uh we will uh, chat about when we're going to do another one of these, but we'll be back to a vowel next time. A- another diphthong, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Because we're getting close to the end of this great mm. work, and we'll have to think of things that we want to do afterwards. So uh, people who wanted to let us know what we should do next... Uh, yes, yeah, so people love to tell us what to do. <laughs> exactly. Think, so. They should communicate uh, with us. Excellent. They could do that at glossonomia at gmail.com. We love to hear from you, so please send us a message. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you next time. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.